role of the CEO has changed drastically in the past 20 years, and our expectations of them has both increased and changed. Since the 1990s, the median tenure of CEOs has shortened to 10 to 5 years, and it has become challenging for a CEO to advocate, motivate, and embed their strategic direction in this reduced time frame. Welcome to this episode of the Chief Psychology Officer with Dr. Amanda Potter, Chartered Psychologist and CEO of Zircon. I'm Christian Lees-Bell, and today we have an esteemed guest, Dr. Silvana Story, also chartered occupational psychologist and published author. We'll be looking at what a modern CEO needs to consider to be successful in these challenging times. Silvana, thank you for being our guest on this episode of the podcast. Please, could you start by introducing yourself? Thank you, Christian, and thank you, Amanda, for welcoming me to the podcast today. Really looking forward to it. I'm a business psychologist and organizational consultant. I've been doing this for 30 years and specializing in culture change, leadership and uh, DEI. I design and I lead cultural change interventions and I'm also trusted advisor and executive coach. Thanks, Savannah. Um, So, Amanda, why did you invite Savannah here today? Well, Savannah and I know each other personally. So we went to university together back in 1993 to 1995 at the University of East London. And I have followed Silvana's career since that time. And I read her most recent book. And it's really challenging the way we think about how we offer our executive assessment and recruitment and strategy work to our clients and our coaching practice as well. It's a fantastic book. And I asked Silvana, if she wouldn't mind being a guest. Brilliant. And Savannah, you've written the book, The Aperture for Modern CEOs. Who did you interview for your book? I interviewed 15 CEOs from 15 different companies across continents, countries, for example, Denmark, Japan, Switzerland, China, and so forth. And companies include Nestle, the Higher Group, Novartis, Muller Musk, Waitrose, New York Times, Serpentine Gallery, PHC Group, ERM, IMEC, Alcabra Capital and International Investor. That sounds like a phenomenal, I presume, client list and also phenomenal set of CEOs that you got to interview for this book. No wonder you had such an insight that you needed to share, Silvana. Thank you. Absolutely. And to to go back to what Christian was saying in his introduction is that it's amazing how the dynamics of the CEO tenure is changing. So out of the 15 CEOs that I interviewed, only five are now in their original role of CEO with that company. Gosh, that is surprising. And that really confirms then what Christian said at the beginning. Absolutely. I'm curious, sir, Savannah, why did you write the book? What was the drive behind it? Well, CEO and their teams are often great at leading on the harder elements of organizational life, such as financial, operational, digital technology, and so forth. Less so at the softer elements of organizational life. So however, in my experience, things around purpose, communication, engagement are simply not working for today's environment. And these areas are really the key responsibility of the CEO. So I wanted to spotlight these areas and and take a look at what's actually happening on the ground and the importance that their role can affect what's happening on the ground. I see the CEOs as the catalysts and architects for what the organization focuses on and therefore what gets done. And in my consultant practice, I often observe that these softer areas are just not given priority and therefore they trail on other business priorities, which means that they deplete the organization and drag the performance. That's so interesting. And you started the book very much by talking about a paradox. 
And this really relates to that median tenure of CEOs really reducing. Could you help us to understand that paradox a little bit further? So I feel that leadership has lost its way. It's been really disrupted on a number of levels. So first, the tenure, as we mentioned, is decreasing. And therefore, the pressure to make an impact can often mean that leadership focus and commitments fall into the short term arena. The second is that the pace of change has multiplied and the challenge to keep up is enormous. So CEO, as well as facing commercial, political, technological, social, ethical and cultural challenges, also has to be comfortable dealing with ambiguity, complexity, unpredictability, competing views, whilst at the same time coalescing key organisational elements. For example, they have to deal daily with disruptions ranging from cyber attacks to social unrest, to pandemics, to financial volatility, to talent scarcity, uh, to different ways of working, etc. Thirdly, the very people who are in their inner circle do not always provide the truth until it explodes in the blaze of a corporate scandal. So, for example, Wells Fargo, Bowen, uh, News Corporation, Volkswagen, Grenfell Tower in Kensington Borough, etc. And I'm often bemused that they're not focusing on the people aspects, yet without people, there is no company. Why the almost 95% focus on finance and technology when your people lie behind driving the operations? That's really fascinating, Silvana. And I think it goes to show just how much a CEO in these times really has to handle some increasingly complex challenges as well. I'd love to know um, a little bit more about your book and how it's structured, actually. So it's split into five main chapters and areas. Um, Please, can you take me through the first three of these? Sure. So chapter one is, is titled Foundations. It's about the creation and positioning of purpose, vision, strategy and structure to that best maximize performance of the organization. So, for example, let's take vision. How many times have you walked into an organization and asked an employee at any level, what is a company's purpose and vision? And they don't know. They, they stare at you with an absolutely blank face. I once worked with an executive uh, leadership team to revise their vision and began the workshop by asking them to write down their current vision. Not one person could tell me the company's vision, not even the CEO. Other examples include uh, that strategic intent doesn't always translate into action. Leaders and their teams can get caught up in firefighting activities. Often the very customer who the organization is meant to, to serve is lost sight of. And also structures are not agile, bureaucracy prevails and so on. The foundation, Silvana, for me, when you were talking about the purpose, the vision, the strategy and the structure, it really made me think about the concept of line of sight and the importance of, as you said, the people on the ground, including the CEO. I mean, Flip and Eck, it should start with the CEO being very clear about that vision. And there should be a really clear line of sight between what an individual is doing, um, how it contributes to that vision. And if that is lacking, I mean, that's pretty fundamental for me. And so for me, I agree that truly is the foundation. Uh, Chapter two examines the CEO's actions, behavior and mindset. For instance, ELT and teams can often spend significant times in mindless meetings, but often actions do not get done once they leave the meeting. So in terms of actions, do their people know what they focus on and why, who they are and what they stand for? Do they even care? Astonishingly, many employees do not even know who their CEOs are. So how clear are the decision-making processes, problem-solving skills, what about critical thinking, etc.? In terms of behaviours, 
Do CEOs practice humanity, civility, dignity? Are the behaviors that are accepted in an organization, are they demonstrated? Are they articulated? That is, do they walk the talk? Are they okay with saying, I don't know? I don't have the answers. Help me, please. And when it comes to mindset, do they know themselves? How developed is their own sense of self-awareness? Do they have a growth mindset or a mixed mindset? What about a learning, deliberative, outsider or global mindset? How do you nurture these mindsets? So that's chapter two. I'm so glad that leadership, Silvana, is number two, because that's our bread and butter, isn't it? Of course, that's the area that we work in every day, Christian, don't we, within Zircon with our clients. And I'm so excited about the language that you're using, which is around mindset, because we're really using that language as well. Often our clients are talking about action. They're talking about behavior. But the fact that you're really, truly thinking about mindset and I really connected with the humanity, the civility and the dignity statement that you made. Actually, are they good humans? Are they good people that you're working with? Because we follow people, don't we? We don't necessarily want to work with a brand that is being driven by somebody who is toxic. We want to be led by leaders who inspire us, who we want to follow. So I think that's great. Chapter three looks at what I term intangibles. So these are areas that seemingly run under the radar and are difficult to articulate and perceived equally difficult to measure. For example, areas such as culture and change, communications, employee engagement and diversity, equity and inclusion. These areas, for me, form the backbone to organizational health and high performance, and yet often take the backseat in pursuit of shareholder value and technological advancement. So essence, we are humans, not numbers, despite the rise of chat GPT. We are complex and we are emotive. So the first three chapters are fundamental to organization and what I call the CEO's bread and butter. So the intangibles, when I opened the book and I read the chapter around intangibles, I agree that culture and climate and engagement and communication is so fundamental. But for many people, it's seen as quite a soft and woolly area. But actually, it's truly key to make sure all of the messaging and all of the experience that people have within an organization is really in line with and consistent with that purpose and with that vision. And your point around humans are not numbers, that they are very much emotional beings and they are the essence of the organization is truly key. So how can we connect with that essence? I think that's something that really comes out in your book. So. In chapters one to three, so number one, foundation, number two, leadership, and number three, the intangibles, you say that these are foundational or fundamental areas for CEOs. Is that pretty much it? Is that enough? They're all the wheels of organizational practice, so to speak, to help drive success. But I believe that they need to widen their scope. For example, in chapters four and five, I'd start to discuss this in terms of what they can do to broaden the organizational depth. What do you mean by widen their scope? Well, because we're living in this VUCA world, both at a micro individual level and at the macro level, the societal, the external level, so many different factors now come into play. So it's not just simply about return on shareholder value. There are other areas that need to be thought of in terms of politics and conflict, psychological safety, hybrid working, cognitive diversity, innovation and emerging technologies, geopolitical and societal issues. Silvana, you talked about VUCA. Can you explain what that means, please? It's an acronym and it stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex and Ambiguous. 
you will hear many people refer to the term VUCA. Thanks very much. And can you tell us a little bit more about chapters four and five? So chapters four delves into the role, the extended role of the CEO. And as I previously referred to, it looks really at the organizational health and the leadership uh, intelligences needed to for the CEO to focus on, including concepts such as psychological contouring. Uh, and chapter five addresses the concept of space. So in terms of how do we think, uh, how do we apply our thinking? What is a curiosity and what is well-being? looking at innovation and looking at how we reimagine our organizations. Amanda, I'm curious myself, how does this link to our Zircon B Talent research? It really aligns. I was thinking about the fact that while Silvana and I have known each other 30 years, our careers have developed on parallel paths, but they haven't overlapped that much over those 30 years, which is fascinating. Yet our thinking and our research is quite aligned. And in particular, a lot of the work that Silvana's been doing overlaps, particularly around the cognitive diversity, psychological safety, radical candor, removing bias, creating line of sight, enabling positive disruption in organizations, removing functional stupidity. So for me, there was a huge amount that I could see in the work that Silvana is doing and the research she's done with CEOs that we are also doing in our research. It gives me confidence that we're thinking the right way when other authors, other researchers are coming to similar conclusions that we are. I was actually recently asked um, by one of our clients the question, what makes an exceptional CEO? So I'm wondering, Amanda, what does the B Talent Research tell us about this? Well, I'd love to tell you what the B Talent Research tells us, but I'd also love Silvana to answer that question afterwards to see if she agrees with me. That would be fascinating. So we actually talked about this in a previous podcast, which was about the seven characteristics of a CEO. But the number one characteristic, which that was the most important, interestingly, was decisive. If you remember the Harvard Business Review research and our research concurs that decisive leaders are the most effective in, and have the greatest impact on the share price of a commercial or corporate organization. But they also need to be resilient. They need to be forward thinking, which fits very much with what Silvana was saying. They need to be connected, again, fits with what Silvana was saying about being a humble, honest leader who has humanity. They need to be able to engage people. They need to be agile, intrepid and credible. They need to know what they're talking about. So seven characteristics from our research that are fundamental for good CEOs. Can you expand on that research on decision making? Yeah, so we just did a piece of research with nearly 700 leaders. So if we took that very first characteristic of effective CEOs on decision making, how do they make decisions? And what we found is that they tended to be bold, intuitive and risk seeking. They're also pretty open minded. So if they made the wrong decision, they're prepared to change it. So they're pretty agile in their thinking, too. They believed in their ability to make good decisions, so they were assured and they were fast. They got to that decision point quickly. They didn't contemplate or take too much time. So, Ivana, that was our research. What would your thinking be around what makes a really good CEO from your perspective? I think your research, Amanda, covers quite a lot of really key traits. The one thing that I would say that they need to stand in the shoes of their stakeholders. So there can be a lack of empathy and a lack of reality. Apart from that, I would say everything's covered. Yeah, empathy and understanding. I think that's a really good point, actually. Amanda, I'm wondering why these things are important. Well, Silvana mentioned VUCA earlier, 
And actually, we've been hearing about the concept of Banny, haven't we, since then, which was brittle, anxious, nonlinear and incomprehensible, which is just taking VUCA to another level. All a bit crazy. But without that lack of purpose, that lack of vision, consistency, clarity, openness or space to think, then CEOs are just going to be operationalizing current methodologies and processes. And Silvana's book really challenges CEOs to think differently and to imagine how things could be different if they were to apply themselves. And that's why the book is particularly helpful. Silvana, you mentioned in your book, in our briefing call, actually, a new concept, which was totally new to me, called psychological contouring. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Psychological contouring is the way that we contour the behaviours and mindset of those that we lead. So the roots of psychological contouring, and I'll call it PC for short, begin with a psychological contract. So that is the unwritten set of expectations between employees and employee. This continues to be chipped away as both companies and employees become less loyal to each other. So in part, they are less loyal due to organizational practices, for example, that favor redundancy. And at the other end, uh, millennials, Gen Z, who are more likely to job hub. So it's anticipated that millennials, for example, will hold up to 20 positions in the course of their working life compared to Gen X who might hold one or two jobs. That's a crazy stat difference, isn't it? How many jobs have you had, Christian? Probably about 25, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. 18 18 to 20. No, no, not for, yeah, from 18 to 20. Working in, yeah, from milk factories to consultancy, but um, it's all it's all shaped me. It's all contoured me into a better person. How interesting. So I don't think I've had, well, I did start, I suppose maybe I have then. I'm now, I, I'm rambling, but I'm going back to the early days of working in shops and in kitchens. I suppose we all have had that many jobs, but I was thinking in my professional career, I've only had two or three. I've had hardly any, actually. And what about you, Savannah? How many jobs have you on the professional side of your career? Have you had many? I've had a few because I, I, I decided to go for a portfolio career very early. So I set up my business in my 20s and, and therefore my clients, I've been a consultant that period of time. I have gone in-house on a few occasions. And so my career has really dipped in and out of in-house versus self-employed. So both of you have got quite portfolio careers. I think I'm the one who's the stable influence here. Makes a change. <laughs> Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, st- I'll stick with that, I think. So I'm not sure I fully understand psychological contouring. So I don't know if we may just spend a bit more time on it just to help people understand. So could you give me an example of how psychological contouring comes into effect and the impact it has? So for psychological contouring, there are three key factors that underpin it. One is context, one is trust, and the other is emotion. If we look at context, you might pay your employees to go on an expensive training event. But once they return to the office, they do not have the authority to put in place and transfer their learnings into action. By doing so, your behaviours and uh, mindset and employees' motivation aren't capitalised on. They aren't enhanced. So you need to understand the psychological capital behind your actions. Or another example, a leader unaware of how their behaviour negatively impacts on their peers. For example, I have CEOs whose temper meant that the team tiptoed around him. The internal context was that there was little clarity on their ability and responsibility for each individual's role because the CEO often stepped in. How do you change that? That sounds great in terms of the context. What about trust and emotions? 
Trust is you need to make people feel safe physically and emotionally. You need to build relationships over time so that trust is engendered. You need to show that you listen and generate warmth. Only in this way can you help to shift behavior and mindset. In terms of emotions, they add depth to shaping behavior and mindset. For me, there's a wonderful saying that the irony of emotion is articulated by someone called Charlie Mackesy, who writes, isn't it odd? We can only see our outsides, but nearly everything happens on the inside. So showing emotions allows us to move forward and gives us insight into another person's thoughts and soul and shared understanding. So psychological contouring gives access to shaping behavior mindset through alignment to the strategy and by understanding internal and external contexts, building trust and displaying emotion. I love that quote. Who is it by again? It's by Charlie Mackesy. M-A-C-K-E-S-Y. And just because the listeners may want to rewind so they don't have to, could you just say the quote again? Sure. Isn't it odd? We can only see our outsides, but nearly everything happens on the inside. That's so cool. Thank you. Silvana, listening to you talk about uh, psychological contouring, it's made me think about the importance of role modeling, you know, particularly for CEO, for managers and for leaders. But it takes, I would imagine, a fair amount of development and self-awareness to be able to do this effectively. I'm wondering actually how the role of the modern CEO has changed in this respect. It has changed significantly. And for me, there are four dimensions to their role. They're visionaries, they're architects, they're catalysts, and they're coaches. So the external face means that they're often expected to take a stand on areas outside of the organization. For example, factors such as the war in Ukraine, pressure was put on the organization who had operations in Russia to pull out of Russia, increasing pressure from stakeholder activists, also to take a stand on societal matters such as climate change, gun control, abortion, anti-discrimination, and even to consider and evaluate their own compensation packages. So a key CEO behavior that also flies under the radar is linked to thinking and curiosity. We're moving so fast that CEOs who are under pressure really give themselves time to think and have space to ask questions and understand the impact of key decisions on themselves and on the organization. That really reminds me of a quote that I heard from Sarah because I asked her to prepare for this podcast, what she really respects in the most successful CEO or C-suite leaders that she interviews for exec assessment. And she said that the best CEOs and C-suite leaders that she's worked with are the ones that are great listeners to your point, Silvana. They speak last, they understand what they need to know, and they understand where their gap is and their knowledge, but they don't rely on mining the detail all the time. They focus on the interaction and the engagement of the people around them. And they try to remain curious and remain open at all times. So that really connects with what Sarah said when I was talking to her about preparing for this podcast. Savannah, so what do we need then from the modern CEO to drive organizational performance and organizational health? There are over 250 recommended approaches, actions and, and ways of thinking and being that I recommend in my book. Following each section within each chapter, I outline what a CEO can do. But in the main, there are a number of areas. The first is CEOs need to up the ante to create healthy organizations. So organizations in which people thrive. Secondly, they need to create trust, minimize fear, foster courage, develop connections, be empathetic, enable transparency and practice curiosity. 
They also need to practice duty of care. So to be aware of physical and mental health of their employees and to appreciate difference, not just to simply say that they appreciate difference, but to show it, not to window dress. They need to exercise vulnerability and role model the behaviours and mindsets that they want realised in their organisation. Lastly, they need to be conscious of the way they lead. So as I mentioned before, to stand in the shoes of all their stakeholders so that decisions are made with a pragmatic and realistic hat on, but is combined with empathy. Standing in the shoes is definitely something I'm taking from this that I think was missing from our characteristics, or at least it wasn't explicitly stated. I need to go back and think about how, but that's a really good point, Silvana. Thank you. Silvana, that was a really fantastic summary that you've just uh, given us there. And I think it uh, makes it very clear why a book like yours is, is so essential because of all of the complexity and the challenges that you know CEOs have to face now. I'm also thinking that there's a lot for them to, uh, to take on board, a lot for them to learn. I mean, in your experience, in, in working with CEOs, how many of those CEOs have all of those things? Is it possible? Because I'm thinking, wow, that's a lot. It, it is a lot. And it's not possible. You're absolutely right, Christian. It's not possible. But the important thing is to be conscious, conscious of your strengths and conscious of areas for development and where one attribute is not your strength, who in your team can support you? That strengths-based approach is a really lovely way to finish it, actually, because I think that agility, recognising that you can't be everything, but also recognising that you can have some of that within your team is a really great way to go. But playing to your strengths, most definitely. Well, I think this has been a fantastic way to spend the morning. Thank you very much, Silvana, for giving us your time today. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciated reading the book and I learned a lot from you. And I'm definitely going to be starting to integrate a lot of this into the work that we do with our clients, which is great. So thank you. Yeah, me too. And it's really fascinating. For our listeners, if you'd love to hear more about our research, uh, looking at psychological safety, cognitive diversity, decision making, for example, you can download our white paper from the website at www.zircon-mc.co.uk or feel free to contact us at hello at btalent.com. Amanda, thank you, Silvana, for being such a fabulous and knowledgeable guest. I've learned a lot as well. Thank you. And Silvana, if people want to purchase your book, could you just remind us of the title and where they can get it? My book is called The Aperture for Modern CEOs, Aligning Purpose and Focus. And it can be purchased on Amazon. So please buy. And finally, Silvana, thank you again for being such a fabulous and very knowledgeable guest. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening. I hope you have a wonderful and successful day. 